0: Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping take control of your health. And today we are joined by a repeat guest who's enlightened us in so many important areas and has a really phenomenally exciting topic to discuss today. It's only partially related to COVID, but... Equally important, I believe, because it has a massive influence on your health and its stealth. And that guest is Dr. Thomas Levy, who was trained as a conventional cardiologist, but he decided to leave nearly a quarter century ago once he met a very prominent uh, biological dentist, one of the pioneers in the field, Dr. Hale Huggins, who's one of his primary mentors. And he went off and started a different course, something like I did. And I realized I, I couldn't reach the number of people I could potentially if I continued to see people in my private practice. So that's why I ventured out and started the, with the website nearly a quarter of a century ago, about the same time, actually, that he left. So um, I, actually, it's when I started. I actually left practice maybe 10 years later than Dr. Levy did. So but uh, we've got some exciting information to discuss today, so welcome and thank you for joining us again.
1: Always happy to be here, Joe. I, I love to reach your audience because we have
0: a lot of important stuff to talk about, and it doesn't do any good unless people learn about it. Yes, indeed, and uh, you have an interesting strategy to help spread the information. Um uh, uh, you actually give away your books for free (laughs) not all of them but some of the more recent ones including this one i believe is is a pdf and that book is called the hidden epidemic and it truly is it's stealth and it, it it missed almost everyone misses this almost everyone i'm saying clearly over 95%, probably over 99%. And I happen to be in the, the group that missed it. So uh, if I miss it, I'm sure many of you are missing it. And this is important because it, it has an, a tremendous influence on your overall health, this, this hidden epidemic. So before we start diving into that though, and wanna keep the intrigue up a bit is, maybe you can just summarize a bit of your journey to this point? Uh, and, you know, as it's, as I mentioned, it started with Dr. Huggins. Well, I think, as you know, my
1: first uh, foray into non-traditional medicine was with vitamin C. And I learned about vitamin C because I got to know Dr. Huggins in 1993 in Colorado Springs. And he invited me to his clinic. Uh, we got to be pretty good friends. And I had no idea what was going on there, but I went there and to make a long story short, I saw some critically ill patients. He would have patients from around the world come to his clinic for a two week stay. Critically ill patients just spruce up and feel better after two to three or more hours of brutal dental work, extractions, you name it, everything else. And just intuitively it puzzled the daylights out of me. uh, af- after I saw with this one little old lady perk up and ask her caretaker, let's go out to eat tonight. I said, "Hal, what's going on here? And he pointed at the IV bag. I said, okay, she's getting an IV that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. He said, it's what's in it that counts. And I said, all right, I'll bite. What's in it Hal?" And he said, 50 grams of vitamin C. And absolutely in that instant, having never heard of that before in my life, not having any real idea what vitamin C was in spite of my many years of traditional training. uh, I'm not in the habit of denying what my eyes have witnessed. So I said, I got to research this for myself. That began my journey, if you will. And so, and of course, part of that initial journey was seeing what Dr. Huggins was doing. Additional to that, which was, In addition to taking out mercury fillings, okay, we all know about the mercury and the silver fillings, he also focused on Dr. Weston Price's work, which shows that root canals are chronically infected, all of them, and this was later documented by the work that Dr. Huggins did with Dr. Boyd Haley at the University of Kentucky, where they had over 5,000 consecutive root canals extracted from dentists around the country, submit to them, and they did sophisticated testing, and they found extremely potent toxins and anaerobic bacteria in all of them. Okay, so I won't go into too much further on that, but it brought out the point that infected teeth are the nuclear bomb of oxidative stress, okay? Okay. All diseases caused by oxidative stress, and the lion's share of oxidative stress is caused by chronic infections. Now, fast forward to about oh four or five years ago. Excuse well, uh, about-
0: me for a moment, uh, if I can. Interrupt, right. You actually wrote a book on this, right? The, about yes. Root so, what was the name of that book? Uh,
1: actually, it's the the toxic tooth. Toxic tooth. Okay. Toxic tooth. So, uh, along with Dr. Robert Kulats. Mm-hmm. So fast forward uh, to about four or five years ago, I was accompanying a good friend of mine to the dentist because I convinced her that she needed her root canals extracted. And so she was getting her 3D cone beam examination, really sophisticated, in-depth examination that sees so much more than the regular x-rays they use commonly in dentistry. And they were x-rayed just to get an idea. of the.
0: Let's stop there because that is... I want everyone to deeply appreciate what you just said. Really, really important point. And and almost everyone watching this needs one of these dental x-rays. So expand a little bit more on this.
1: Well, ordinary x-rays, which is called the Panorex, they do it across with a regular x-ray machine, uh, probably detect if you have an infected tooth with an abscess, with an abscess. Mm -hmm. If you have an infected tooth, it's gonna find it maybe 30, maybe 40% of the time. Uh, If you do a slightly more sophisticated digital subtraction, you might add another 10 or 20%. But the 3D cone beam examination literally is that, it's three-dimensional once, and they rotate it around your head, it's tomography, they take slices, and when all said and done, it looks like a Star Wars type of <laughs> type of test. I mean, you just literally can look at every part of the head. There's a lot of information in it other than teeth, but it's the only way, only way we can currently detect small, otherwise detectable abscess teeth. <laughs> and this is important because once a tooth has an abscess, no matter how small, that tooth is dead. Okay and it's just accumulating infection that you can disseminate throughout the rest of your body. So without this test, and most people, as you started to say at the uh, onset of this, they don't have dentists that are using this. And furthermore, they don't have cardiologists or internal medicine doctors when patients have chest pain or lumps in their breast. I talk about the heart disease or the breast cancer connection that even refer their patients to the dentist to get this evaluation for the infected teeth, but it's truly the single most important thing that can be done for a heart disease, heart attack patient, or a breast cancer, breast lump patient, in addition to many other diseases, but those are the two biggies. If this is not done, they're really missing, probably greater than 90% of the time, the true reason why they have that condition in the first place. So you're referring to the cone beam x-ray cone beam x-ray. Okay. And so my friend had this cone beam x-ray just to define the anatomy before she was going to have her three extractions there from across the road, literally 20 feet away. There was another tooth adjacent to the three root canal tooth. And it was so completely abscessed breaking through the sinus, it's actually on the cover of the book, that's, that's the one I'm talking about on the cover of the book, that I said, oh my goodness, my friend, I'm afraid you're going to have to get another tooth taken out, but first, and this is really the important point, because we were talking about silent, occult, stealth, mm-hmm. I said, have you ever had any pain on that tooth, and I touched it, and I, I said, no, 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 you, you chew on it, no problem, no, I said, never, 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 any pain in that tooth, she said, no, And in that instant, I said, oh, my goodness. I didn't know at that instant how widespread it was. Mm -hmm. But for me, and actually for many dentists that I subsequently talked to who were candid with me, there's not a realization in dentists that horribly abscessed teeth can be clinically completely silent. You can chew on them. They feel fine. They don't ache. They don't hurt. Everybody thinks an infected tooth is enormous pain. And if it's acutely infected, that's absolutely the case. But these chronically abscessed teeth have no discomfort at all, well over 95% of the time. And so I did the research. I looked at the literature. I said, oh, my goodness, these teeth are all over the place. And nothing systematically is being done with them. I mean, one dentist I later talked to that had seen my book and said, hey, I got a 3D cone beam exam and hey, they got those abscesses all over the place. What are you supposed to do? And I was kind of stunned. I said, they're infected dead teeth. They need to come out of the body and then you need to do a restoration, something along the lines of a, a bridge or an implant, you name it. I said, but if you're concerned about your patient's health, they can't stay inside the body.
0: Yeah, and and if you could just briefly summarize uh, the conventional approach when you have an abscess like this, the typical strategy or intervention recommended by the dentist would be a root canal. So just just briefly, we've discussed this before, but those who haven't seen that just review that.
1: Yes, and the thing that a root canal is basically where they shave off the top of the tooth And they go inside with little roto-rooter cores and they actually pull and core and scrape out the inner pulp of the tooth. The pulp is the nerve connective vascular center of the tooth. It's got all the nerves, all the blood supply. And the reason somebody goes to see the dentist with this type of tooth is because it hurts, okay? And so primarily, truth be known, the root canal procedure is a pain relief procedure but it's not a infection eradication procedure. It's basically like if you have an abscess on your arm and it hurts rather than take care of the abscess and drain it and cure it all you do is snip all the nerves going to it so that you don't feel pain from the abscess anymore. And that's pretty much the same with the root canal tooth. Problem is once that pulp is infected, the tooth is dead. You, they say, well, if you feel pain, it can't be dead. Well, you're not feeling pain from the core of the tooth. You're feeling pain from the connective tissue around the tooth, from the infection that goes down into the root of the tooth. But just because there's pain does not rule out by any means that the tooth is technically dead. And you've basically, with a root canal, you've taxidermized the tooth. You've basically just put the tooth in a state of technical preservation, not infection elimination. And in both hidden epidemic and in the toxic tooth that you mentioned earlier, we go through the reams of literature. Believe me, there's a ton of literature that shows how toxic these teeth are, how closely they correlate with coronary artery disease and cancers everywhere else through the body. So it's always a nasty scenario to have for any reason, a chronically infected tooth stay in your body. The other thing too, is when you chew on it, what happens? The the pressure between two molars in chewing is some of the highest pressures there are in, uh, in nature, in the body, if you will. So what does that do? Every time you chew on something that has a big abscess at the root tip, you actually push into the draining venous in lymphatic circulation more effectively than if you just gave something IV push with the syringe to disseminate throughout the body, pathogens and toxins.
0: Okay, well, thank you for doing that. And I just wanna share a personal story to highlight how prevalent this is because I lead a pretty darn healthy lifestyle and have been for many, many, many decades. And last year, a little bit over a year ago, before the COVID pandemic hit, actually it was the week before they shut things down, uh, we went down to Mexico, a clinic there called SANOVIV, S-A-N-O-V-I-V, S-A-N-O-V-I-V, which is in uh, just south of Tijuana or in even, I think it's south of Tijuana. And uh, about an hour, an hour and a half away from San Diego. So typically you fly into San Diego and you get driven down to this clinic. Very, it's not, It's not a... <laughs> It's a very high-end clinic. It's like a five-star resort. All the units that you stay, you stay there. All your meals are provided for, and every unit is an ocean sh- ocean shore, like literally hundred yards away from the ocean. You can see, and it's all e- at really low EMF, and you can't even use your cell phones there because they're they're very astute about the the that level of impact on your health. But anyway, I went there for just a just comprehensive examination. And they did, I saw the dentist there and the dentist did this uh, x-ray and found a periapical abscess that was completely asymptomatic, completely asymptomatic. And interestingly, well, I'll, I'll finish the story. So I had to get the tooth pulled and, and I m- regularly monitor my inf- inflammatory markers with HSCRP. And typically it's about 0.2, 0.3, maybe 0.5. And it all of a sudden it jumped to the one, two and three levels for no apparent reason. and in and clearly it was related to this because as you mentioned, these infections can contribute to oxidative stress and then secondary inflammation. So that's what I had going on. And just to highlight the point, there was not one darn symptom. So unfortunately that left me with a challenge to get this tooth extracted in the middle of the beginning of the pandemic when everything was shut down, you couldn't fly anywhere. Uh, and dentists, normal dental offices weren't going. So I had to not only identify a good dental surgeon, but you know, somewhere I can get to reasonably well. So I found one, and uh, you know, worked through it all. But it was uh, a real, real experience to me because I not only did I have the periodontitis, abscess, but I had periodontitis, which is the stealth, hidden epidemic that we're going to talk about. So I think that's a good segue to go into the next phase, which is this periodontitis and its connection with virtually every disease. And 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 uh, one of the points that you mention in your book is that collectively, which surprised me, heart disease and cancer contribute to more uh, deaths in the developed world than all other chronic degenerative diseases combined. But I, I was, I was my view that. Uh, the, that heart disease and cancer are a type of chronic degenerative disease because they don't have, typically don't happen acutely. I mean, obviously, you can get a heart attack and die, but, but the, 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 it, it builds up chronically over time. It's, it's not like you smoke a cigarette and you're dead. I mean, you have to smoke it for typically decades to get the impact. So uh, why don't you address that and then, this, then start diving into this periodontitis because it's such an important topic that everyone watching this needs to understand.
1: Sure. Well, the first thing I'd like to do along those lines is emphasize that the subtitle of this book, and it's not meant to exaggerate in the tiniest bit is that subtitle is silent oral infection caused most heart attacks and breast cancers. And truth be known, it's nearly all heart attacks and most breast cancers. Now, what happens And this comes from periodontitis, which is, as you pointed out, quote unquote, associated with nearly every disease in the body. Truth be known, it's really a cause and effect relationship with most diseases in the body. When you have periodontitis, and then when the pathogens go down and break through the periodontum and reach the apex of the tooth, then they start the abscess. Most periodontitis precedes the abscesses. It's very unusual to have a chronically abscessed tooth unless you just fractured the tooth traumatically. It's very difficult to have a chronically abscessed tooth in pristine normal gums. It just really doesn't happen. Well, as it turns out, these pathogens, every time you chew, seed into the lymph, the lymph goes down to the breast tissue and seed into the venous blood, the venous blood, of course, goes throughout the venous system, which is low pressure, low pressure, venous system into the pulmonary circulation, low pressure, into the left atrium, low pressure, into the left ventricle, and then you immediately go from venous pressure to very high systemic pressure, which means that the content that previously just traveled through the venous system without any problem suddenly goes out from the left ventricle with great force, and the coronary artery receiving roughly 25% of the cardiac output gets the lion's share of the pathogens that are first exposed to high systemic pressures. I I lead into all of this because we have the data that shows clear cut, virtually 100% of atherosclerotic plaques are colonized by periodontal pathogens, plain and simple. not only, are, it's, it's another form of what we call the chronic pathogen colonization in rapid virus recovery, which is discussed at some length. There's actually a study out there, most incredible study 2006 by Dr. Ott, O-T-T. Dr. Ott did angiograms with what's called atherectomy. The atherectomy is basically like a coronary rotor router. They just take a device and core out, scrape out the atherosclerotic plaque. He did this in 38 chronic coronary artery disease patients, examined them and found an array, most of the time over 50 different periodontal and oral pathogens of all variety. And he found them, Joe, in 38 out of 38 patients, which as I like to say, sarcastically is pretty doggone close to hundred <laughs> percent. So, um, And other studies have also taken plaques and seen this same incident. So it's not just this one isolated study. And they've done controls and showed that there's no reason and there's no detectable pathogens in normal coronary arteries. And then finally, the coup de grace, if you will, was when Dr. Pessy in Finland, coordinated a study with her researchers and the hospital there to immediately angiogram acute heart attack patients. As you, as you know, and as the uh, listeners should know, most heart attacks occur when you have a preexisting narrowing that suddenly occludes when you block it off with an acute platelet clot. So you go from a 70% to 100%, 85% to 100%. Well, they went in on these acute heart attack patients and suctioned out those soft platelet clots and analyzed them over 80% had an extremely high concentration of the periodontal pathogens, and up to 80, uh, eight, eight fold, no, 80, 80% higher than in the surrounding blood, much, no, 16-fold, 1,600% so higher concentration than could be found in the blood. Now, do we really think a blood clot formed and suddenly pathogens got attracted to it? No, it was the pre-existence of those pathogens that caused the predilection to block off. And the same thing happens in the breast, but we're not talking about the vascular system. So bottom line is we have the data to anybody that wants to look at the data with an obje- objective scientific mind and not just the idea of preserving whatever their status quo is to show that the mouth causes heart attacks, the mouth causes cancer and as you already alluded to, we showed with the periodont, not we, researchers around the planet, have shown that periodontitis, by seeding these pathogens throughout the body, when you chew, by swallowing these pathogens, and then they make the bio- microbiome abnormal, they cause the gut to become leaky, all of this either causes or always exacerbates any preexisting diseases.
0: So you list a very comprehensive, or uh, have a very comprehensive list of diseases that periodontitis and uh, by association Rook and canal teeth are associated with. Can you go over some of those now?
1: Sure. Uh, the, they've studied most prominently the heart disease and cancers, and certainly they've seen with Uh, A chronically abscessed tooth is known as a chronic apical periodontitis tooth. That's the dental technical term. But basically it just means a tooth that has an abscess, a detectable abscess at its tip on x-ray. These teeth, just the presence of these teeth, completely asymptomatic, uh, shows that that population of people have a five-fold, a greater than 500% greater chance of heart attack than the general population. and we see similar things, diseases. Now, a lot of researchers and people that are interested in just sticking to the status quo for whatever reason, say, oh, well, it's not a cause and effect, it's an association, it's a correlation. Uh, well, we have other studies that when you take a look at specific diseases, like probably one of the best ones to look at for the purpose of what I'm gonna say here is asthma. Uh, chronic periodontitis, chronically infected gums, makes asthma worse. And when you effectively treat the periodontitis, the asthma either goes away or becomes much easier to manage. And when the periodontitis is allowed to flourish again, the asthma comes back. I find it difficult to get get around the fact that that's a cause and effect. Even if there's an underlying problem causing the asthma, clearly the periodontitis has a cause and effect relationship as to how severe that particular condition is.
0: Yeah, there's, and you listed a wide variety of other conditions that are associated with it too. And I could just read from it like, even things, autoimmune diseases like lupus, um, you've got inflammatory bowel disease, uh, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, Uh, I suspect, the other autoimmune diseases like even MS is associated with the preeclampsia, maternal hypertension, anemia, chronic kidney disease, sudden hearing loss. It's just, it just goes on and on. Uh, erectile dysfunction, obviously and, increase, increased oxidative stress. In the and body. you
1: know, Joe, uh, let me, this r- harks me back to Dr. Huggins' clinic. Lots of people with collagen vascular disease, autoimmune diseases, including lupus, with high anti-nuclear antibody titers would come in, and not all of them, just as as an example, but a substantial number of them, by the time they finished their program, in just two weeks, their anti-nuclear antibodies had severely dropped or even disappeared. Uh, I became convinced, and I am very convinced now, that you can't have an autoimmune disease per se, if you don't have chronic infections, because somewhere, not necessarily in the gums, it could be other sources, but statistically speaking, it's most gonna, most commonly going to be from the mouth. And also, we may touch upon later, the tonsils, because any time you've had chronic periodontitis, one or two root canals, a chronically abscessed tooth, it's not mite. You do have chronically infected tonsils. And I can... Show you the data for that if we get around to that later on.
0: Okay, great. So um, I guess the you know the it, it's important to highlight that most physicians are absolutely unaware of this. They're ignorant. They just don't understand it. Uh, fortunately, like you, I was exposed to a really good biologic dentist in the mid '90s. Uh, the doctor. Um, Doug Douglas Cook who's up in Surrey, in Wisconsin, and he did most of my initial dental work. So It was a long drive from Chicago. It was like a four or five hour drive. But he he enlightened me as to the association. So uh, like Doug Huggins did with you, I was aware of this and known about it just as long. But why don't you comment on even well-intentioned, well-studied functional medicine doctors and doctors that are been practicing natural medicine, don't get this connection. What, what, what can you just elaborate on the the numbers and the percentages?
1: Well, it has to do with the etiology of disease and how the philosophical approach with how it's how it's uh, how it's dealt with. Although treating disease is not rarely straightforward; it's complex, involve protocols, different things help. In my opinion, and I'll say why, the etiology of disease is straightforward. The etiology of all disease is increased oxidation of biomolecules, okay? The more biomolecules you have oxidized, electrons taken away, they become inactivated. And their inactivation, their inability to have their normal function is the disease. Mm -hmm. You don't have any additional disease process going on other than how much protein, sugar, etc., enzymes and various distributions that you have oxidized. And when you have, for example, a brief illness with a lot of oxidation, but the illness stops a lot of antioxidants, vitamin C and other electron donors can actually resolve the disease. But that's not the case with chronic disease. With chronic disease, it appears all you can do is lessen it, mitigate it, make it better. Point being is, way back when, I was talking about this with Dr. Huggins, and he sort of rolled his eyes back at me, you know, in his wonderful, delightful, sarcastic fashion, and said, Tom, I said, yes, sir. He said, you can't dry off while you're still in the shower. And that, in a nutshell, just shown a spotlight on the fact that modern medicine, does not do, does not either prevent nor resolve. They just treat symptoms. They don't address the underlying disease. They don't repair tissues and they never, never, never look at what's causing the oxidative damage. Now, most alternative slash integrative medicine is getting very good at repairing oxidative damage And as you just alluded to at at the beginning of this little section point, but they still don't realize that in addition to resolving old damage, you've got to prevent the new damage from coming in. And when it's an internal infection in your mouth, as the young people like to say, you're getting deluged with pathogens and toxins 24 7. So it's very difficult for any chronic disease to ever be resolved clinically when you haven't resolved its chronic cause, quite simple. And it's usually of a substantial volume. And again, as as was talked about in rapid virus recovery, it also results in a chronic pathogen colonization in the affected disease tissue. They have some very elegant studies that show Alzheimer's patients, I mean, when you're able to get actual specimens of the tissue, guess what? You find chronic growth of periodontal pathogens. And it's significant because that is your ultimate way to keep oxidative stress sky high. uh, Infections far beyond anything else, they have oxidized metabolic byproducts, they have exotoxins, they have endotoxins, and when they finally die, they release enormous amounts of unbound iron, which is about your most toxic pro substance we have on the planet. So all of those things together keep chronic diseases chronic. And as you said, regular or integrative medicine docs are only now beginning to realize, and of course, with, with programs like this, we, we hope to get the word out because the data is there uh, we just need to make the docs aware of it. Uh, but it's really sad. It, it saddens me every time I, I hear somebody, oh, I went to this great alternative doc and I'm getting this and I'm sort of getting better and my breast lump is going down. And I said, well, uh, did, did he do any examination of your mouth? He said, I don't, What are you talking about? And then just to make a shortcut, I say, do you have any root canals? Oh, yeah, I have a couple, but they're fine. Well, they're not fine. And when you do thermography, you can see the red lines going from the heated areas of abscess streaking right on down into the breast. And of course you can't see it with the heart disease, but same thing with the heart. So in a nutshell, then modern medicine doesn't recognize or acknowledge what causes disease and it doesn't really care what cures the disease. All it's, de- all it's dedicated to is symptom relief and trying to make you feel better while staying on a medicine the rest of your life, integrative medicine always looks at trying to resolve oxidative damage and is starting to appreciate that we need to look for these causative factors that are producing the oxidative damage in keeping keeping the patient from complete clinical resolution.
0: All right, well, thank you for expanding on that. and I, I just wanted to mention that uh, not all inflammation is bad. You can basically subdivide it into two types of inflammation acute and chronic. Sure, of course. And the acute is what your body actually uses to destroy pathogens. So it's, but it's only when you get into the chronic stage and it con- contributes to this. But usually it's this oxidative stress, which I agree with you is, is probably one of the central foundational causes of all disease. But you don't discuss this in the book, and I hadn't really planned on just dialoguing with you about it, but it, it is obvious to me as you're discussing this, that's what's left out of the, the uh, perspective is the diet and the foods that we're eating. And I'm not just talking about processed sugar, which has been villainized extensively. I'm talking about what I believe is something exponentially more damaging and dangerous, an unquestionable metabolic toxic poison, and that is processed vegetable oils. Um, because they contain omega-6 fatty acids and it's almost impossible, even though it's called an essential fat that means your body can't create it. If you're eating food, if you eat almost any food, you're gonna get more than enough linoleic acid. So it's, it's literally physically impossible to be deficient in this thing. The problem is is that 150 years ago, we developed a technology to extract from seed oils primarily. They're called vegetable oils, they're really seeds and uh the the instead of having 1 to 2% of our total uh daily uh calorie intake from these oils it's gone up to 20 to 30% literally 10 times as high and the problem with it is these they stick in your cell membranes they last for years and they're responsible and this is the whole point of the story the way, the way they cause their metabolic damage is radically increasing oxidative stress because these essential fats are highly perishable, susceptible to multiple double bonds and they're easily oxidized. to very toxic metabolic products are called oxlams, oxidative uh, metabolites of linoleic acid. acid. And they call, like H4NE and many, many others, cyclic aldehyde, you name it, they're just circling around your body causing massive, impairment in your immune system, which would, you know, and I believe is is got to be tied in very intimately with your ability to get in check these these periodontal infections. Because if you're an impaired immune system, it's not gonna work that well. Obviously we're gonna go into dental hygiene a bit too, but I believe our ancient ancestors didn't really have uh, dental irrigators and toothbrushes and toothpaste and all these strategies that we have now and but they what they did have is they had very low linoleic acid diets almost no one before 150 years ago it was like imp, almost impossible to get too much linoleic acid. So I just wanted to throw that into discussion and give a broader holistic perspective that it's a combination. This is absolutely doesn't conflict what you're saying, it actually merges in and makes it synergistically even more important.
1: You know, interesting too is just as a entertaining but I think interesting observation is uh. In relative ancient times, even though they didn't have the sophistication we have today, they realized that an unhealthy mouth meant an unhealthy body. Mm -hmm. And in the Academy Award-winning movie, Ben-Hur, when Charlton Heston uh, was slogging in the straw clay pits to make bricks as a slave, and they were trying to draft new gladiators, they came by, they saw Charlton Heston, Magnificent, Uh, body at the time. And they went up to him and go check the film if you like. They pulled his lip down. Why'd they pull his lip down? To see how healthy his gums were. And they do the same thing with horses, to see if a horse is healthy. So without any sophisticated studies, we've known a long time a healthy mouth means a healthy body.
0: Yes, indeed. So with having set the foundation of why this is such an important um, disease process to understand that affects virtually everyone watching this. I think we, we really need to go into some of the treatment strategies. Sure. And the, fir- the first one is a 3d cone beam, which I think everyone really should get. And, and I just want to add to your description of that, that when I first saw it, I was just shocked. It literally it's, it is 3d. In other words, the computer image that is generated is reconstructed and it's your, it's like you can see uh, reconstruct an image of your entire jaw and it can be rotated, turned, okay. viewed and viewed from any different angles. Incredible so can, technology. Oh, Incredible it's just technology. amazing. It, it literally is Star Wars technology. And I, I, when I first saw it, I, I was just shocked that this technology existed. And I think almost anyone who hasn't been exposed to the void would come to a similar conclusion, but it's so powerful. You should, and and it's a digital technology. So you're gonna go, oh, I don't want a CT scan. And normally you're right, but uh, it's like 90, 95% less X-ray radiation than a, t- than a typical conventional uh, CT scan. So, but I would still use some strategies to minimize your, uh, oxi- your ionizing radiation exposure, which of course is going to cause oxidative stress. So things like maybe not eating the day before and the day after fasting, maybe take some ketone esters, things like that it can help lower it in, that, in molecular hydrogen too. So that's what I do when I get these tests, but it's still relatively low radiation exposure and, and the risk to reward ratio is definitely in the reward uh window for benefits so uh but why i think we're having so get that 3d cone beam test done and uh it's a baseline and it can diagnose these apps periapical abscesses that you might have and then you can obviously you have got to get to the source because the best dental hygiene program and i was doing a pretty good one but you helped me radically revise it is not going to address periapical abscess and as you mentioned even ozone which i thought might Ozone is pretty good for getting very, very early stages, dental ozone, but it's not gonna treat a full blown periapical abscess. The tooth has just got to be extracted. It's, the damage is done. It's just like you, you, can't, you can't fix it.
1: There's something else I'd like to add, Joe, you, yeah. you pointed out about the importance of the cone beam, is we, we tend to think a lot of times people have bad luck. They get a disease and that's their bad luck. Well, there's always an explanation Maybe you don't find it, but there's always an explanation. And I like to use the example, and I think anybody that deals with kids and pediatrics and cancer, they need to remember this too. If your five-year-old gets leukemia or a brain tumor or something like that, they need to have this test done because kids get abscessed infected teeth too that are pain-free just like adults and you haven't come close to completing your evaluation, I mean, nothing could be worse, it'd be horrible than to have the child die of their leukemia and then to find out later, maybe at post-mortem, this sort of thing of all the infected teeth that were present. So just like adults, the other example I like to use too is <clears throat> when you're a athlete, that you're getting uh, in your twenties, your perfect health, it's still a good idea as part of your baseline examinations to get this exam. And if you have healthy teeth, great. And then when you're 35, 40 years old, you start getting aches and pains, your blood sugar goes up, you're getting a new disease. Then you repeat that test and you see if something new has developed.
0: Yeah, so thank you for reemphasizing that. And I wanna go into the treatment and uh, on a previous, well, we've done, at least three or four <laughs> interviews in the last year. Uh, so, uh, and in which you enlighten us about the um, nebulized peroxide, which is clearly part of this. And, and I think in our last interview, you enlightened me that you could actually use a dental irrigator. And since that interview I've learned because I, I tend to travel, uh, not so much last year, but this year I'm starting to co- come up again. And when i am gone for a few days, I really missed the opportunity to travel, to ha- use my dental irrigator because the conventional one I use, the home one, uh, sort of the desktop version, you can't travel with it because I've tried it in the past and usually wind up breaking the the, dent, the tray. But wa- I just discovered that Waterpik makes this really clever, and elegant, e- and relatively small, easy device that you can travel with. And it's almost immune to breaking because of the way they package it together. The, the, the plastic container of the holes of water is pretty well protected. So uh, now I'm doing it when I, when I travel too. But it, this, this strategy is, is that, the, again, the I mean, we, we talked a lot about the nebulized peroxide, which is useful, but the, the dental irrigator application of peroxide. And uh, I'll, I'll just say what I do, and then I want you to expand on it, but from your recommendation, I'm using like the 12% food grade hydrogen peroxide without stabilizers. And I put uh, a dropper bottle, maybe half of a dropper, dropper tube in there. So an eighth, a quarter of a teaspoon of that, uh, an eighth of a teaspoon of uh, good salt, and then an eighth of a, or a quarter of a teaspoon of, of uh, either sodium bicarb or potassium bicarb, and then I just irrigate with that. But but after a, after I and maybe the sequencing is important too. But I I've, I've learned that uh, first I brush my teeth, and now now I've added actually a dental scaling device. So I, I you know look in a mirror and I try to get the scale off around the teeth, and uh, then I brush and then I irrigate and I do that. Try to do that after every meal.
1: Well, you know and this I came across long ago before all this recent work, uh, working with uh, Dr. Huggins, is that pretty much the same thing that you just said, uh, it varies as to how much you use this out of the other, but yeah. uh, water, warm water, and uh, a given amount of hydrogen peroxide in a water-picked device, consistently, consistently and amazingly Mm -hmm. can resolve even advanced periodontal disease in just a few weeks. It's crazy. Uh, It's crazy. I mean, when you you get rid of these pathogens, the gums spring back to life. I've seen, I saw at least one lady, she had had no gum coming up between her teeth, just little flat lines. And I got her on this and like two weeks later, she just had the most healthy little looking widow peaks of gum going on in there. And I'll take it a step further. And, uh, a lot of a lot of my dental friends and colleagues, uh, even the ones that's like me, <laughs> aren't too crazy about this. But I got to tell you, with the water pit and the tiny amount of hydrogen peroxide as part of your regular oral hygiene, there's no need. And I would say even a contraindication to regular flossing. Mm-hmm. Flossing unless it's done perfectly and very few people do it perfectly, you're always chronically damaging the gums. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's not as good. If mm-hmm. you floss and then water pick, you'll see stuff come out. If you water pick and then floss, you're not going to get anything. So mm-hmm. it's, um, and it's nature's way too. any, any way that we groom and clean, it always involves water. It doesn't involve uh, trying to remove, uh, grime mechanically is which, what you're doing with um, with the water pick. Another point too I'd like to make about, about the gums is we've talked about the correlation of periodontitis with all the different diseases and we also know that we've long found that uh, cigarette smoking is quote-unquote associated with and causes heart disease. And they go into all these convoluted explanations as to what toxins is out of the other you're inhaling and, and that's all bad stuff. But ask any dentist you know, have you ever seen a smoker with normal gums? And they'll say, no, of course not. They all have horrible periodontal disease. That's why smoking is so powerfully connected with ah, and causative of coronary artery disease, is mm-hmm. they all have completely by with the smoke in their mouth as a toxin that completely metabolizes and uses up all the all the vitamin C in those periodontal tissues. And in fact, they've done biopsy studies on periodontal disease and shown virtually zero vitamin C content. So you use up the vitamin C. You have chronically oxidatively stressed if you will periodontal tissue and then the colonization of the bacteria and what we already said about all coronary artery disease having chronic pathogen colonization from the oral periodontal bacteria and there's your heart disease
0: yeah so thank you for reminding me of an important point and neglected to mention Uh, And I wanted to express my deep appreciation and gratitude for you for helping me understand this because I missed it completely. And that is the mechanism of how precisely hydrogen peroxide works. And it has to be married with vitamin C. And as you alluded to with the smoker analogy. So if you have low vitamin C levels, you can irrigate with the peroxide, but it's not gonna work that well. You need to have adequate vitamin C in your bloodstream for this to work. And it has to do with the iron catalyzing the conversion of the peroxide to hydroxyl free radicals. So why don't you go into more details of this? Because this would, the, you turn on the lights when you mentioned this the last time we interviewed, and I didn't get it. So now I think it's definitely part of the protocol I recommend, not only for preventing periodontitis, but for nebulized peroxide to treat up respiratory infections. And the other update that I'm going to go on, when we talk about that after we finish this discussion, because This nebulized peroxide is the bomb, and it's something that people need to do, not just when they get exposed to a respiratory infection, but they need to do it two, three times a week, and we'll talk about that in a minute.
1: Well, as you alluded to, I I call vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide natural physiological partners. Uh, For one thing, uh, when you have a monocyte go to an area of inflammation, which is usually caused by vitamin C depletion, which was usually caused by pathogen presence, What does that monocyte have in it? It has an incredible quantity of vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide. Now, what happens when you have a viral infection that's uh, inside the cell? Well, first of all, you need to remember that all pathogenic infections are fueled by the presence of iron. So the more iron there is, the more the infection flourishes. So it's targeted itself by being rich in iron. That's number one. Then iron is already pro-oxidant. It has the oxidative stress up quite a bit inside the cell, not to the point where the cell is going to die yet. Now, in order, it also, in cells like this, you also have accumulations of hydrogen peroxide. So you have the stage set that when you start giving large amounts of vitamin C in what's called pharmacological doses, but when you look at the way man should be making vitamin C, it's really a physiological dose. Large multigram doses of vitamin C, they go into the cell, they pass an electron, they give an electron to iron three plus and make it iron two plus, ferric to ferrous. And the ferrous iron is biochemically compatible with passing that electron on to the hydrogen peroxide, which breaks down into the hydroxyl radical and causes the oxidative stress that eventually uh, kills the cell and kills the virus. But the important point here that we need to add on to this is there's lots of chemical reactions in there, but if you want them to accomplish a goal, they need to be self-sustaining. So you need to continue to have enough vitamin C, continue to have enough iron, continue to have enough hydrogen peroxide so that this Fenton reaction, is what it calls, goes to completion and completely oxidatively destroys the cell. Well, or the pathogen,
0: not the cell, but the pathogen.
1: Yeah, the pathogen. And, and, so, and so you have lots of vitamin C going in. So you supply that externally. Okay. Also, guess what else the vitamin C does outside of the cell? It's the most powerful producer of new hydrogen peroxide. So at the same time, the vitamin C is going into the cell it's producing more peroxide outside of the cell, which as a non-ionic tiny molecule diffuses into the cell. So now you have large amounts of vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide. And then the hydrogen peroxide, once it's inside the cell, mobilizes new iron from the ferritin storage sites. So you have a situation where you've completely allowed unlimited amounts of the three substrates of the Fenton reaction to continue to completion until it's done its complete pro-oxidative killing task. Yeah. Well, so in every sense of the word that you could say that, I would say that, and I have said, hydrogen peroxide is the effector arm of vitamin C's ability to kill a pathogen.
0: Yeah, it's like the metamorphosized version of vitamin C because it, it converts. And I've, we've known that for a long time and it's, that probably is the primary reasons why it's so useful in treatment of cancer is its conversion to hydrogen peroxide. But the subtle details are important and it really comes into play as we uh, progress through the COVID pandemic and, and, and largely as a result of your efforts and others uh, came to appreciate that it's probably the single most potent intervention we have to treat it, despite even many natural medical physicians relying on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Well, well, we show.
1: wouldn't be out here without without your role, Joe. I mean, it's it's a team oh. effort for sure.
0: Yeah, I know. But... I'm telling you, it still shocks and surprises me that so many good physicians in natural medicine still don't get or understand that hydrogen peroxide is, is the primary intervention. I mean, I just don't understand why they don't jump on it. It's just because the moment they did, if they just, as a physician, you are trained to observe clinically and from your clinical observations, make impressions as to therapeutic efficacy. And and you do that over a few decades and you get a feel for what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, I've developed that and honed that as you have for certain too. And you've been in the field for a few years, decades, and you know, what's work, what's going to work. So when I saw this and, and seen it with my own eyes and so many different people work, I mean, this was just so obvious that you, 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 you could come to no other conclusion that this is, this is the way to treat it. And, it, and I'm just surprised that more people aren't catching on to this.
1: Well, if I might add too, Joe, uh, uh, after I wrote the book, I had the opportunity to go down to Columbia where I have family and friends. And I wrote a little piece on this for Orthomolecular Medicine News Service, but I gave a young woman down there a nebulizer over a year and a half ago because she had a cold and her Mm -hmm. family had colds and it helped them all. I left that in the peroxide bottle. To make a quick story, but important point is she since has treated 20 COVID cases. With the the peroxide by itself, seven of them had tests that were COVID positive. They all had the symptomatology. And here's the biggie, Joe most of them were severely short of breath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And using the vitamin C, excuse me, using the hydrogen peroxide nebulization as a monotherapy, just it and nothing else, three times a day for five days, we have 20 out of 20 advanced covid patients
0: completely cured yeah which which echoes david bronstein's results too which is over 100 people now over 200 when he published in about 200 maybe 300 now but no
1: disrespect to david uh, he, he had a multi-protocol right, this, he did, I, right. I want to
0: emphasize right. is just hydrogen peroxide well i would the question i have for you on that the columbia protocol was that you referred to uh didn't they use vitamin c too because that should have been of no. it. No, no. Oh man! They would, well, just well, imagine they, how much it would have worked if they'd used vitamin C. <laughs> well, these were poor people in
1: poor barrios. Any amount of supplementation is expensive for not, them. Not yeah, it should, we we think of things as just, oh, well, it only costs twenty bucks or thirty bucks or forty bucks. Yeah, that that rules no, it out a for a lot point. of people.
0: Because even if the mainstream medicine agreed that ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine were the way to go, not the vaccines, but they would have to ramp up production. There's still costs involved. There is no limitation on peroxide. We've already got enough to treat the world many times over. Correct. Sir. So it's yep. just there. It's available. It's almost free. I mean, we're talking less than a penny per treatment. It's crazy. It was virtually used the right way if you don't overdose it like you do. No, I'm just kidding. There's virtually no side effects. None. Zero. Nada. Nothing. You're absolutely right. And uh, I, I got to say, uh, I, I gave
1: no instructions to this, this gal. She just had her own experience. And when she first started treating her patients, uh, they quickly eased their breathing. But they noticed you know, tingling and burning in the nose, and it was a 3% peroxide. And she said, well, I can, I can decrease the amount if you want. She said, no, 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 I'm, my breathing's so much better, I'll, I'll leave it alone. But so anyway, they did two days of 30 minutes per session, so an hour and a half for two days. And then most of them decreased the concentration down to one and a half one one and a half, 1%, and continued three more days at three times a day, 30 minutes. And and the results were phenomenal. So um, it's 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 I, I, I'm still impressed. I'm still amazed. Oh, one thing I might add too, and I'd like to pass this my own little anecdote anad, anecdote a, anecdote <laughs> uh along here is for some time now, and I don't have any breathing problems. Okay, but I'll I'll have my pulse oximeter on, and it's usually right at about ninety five. Mm-hmm. And then I'll put on my 3% hydrogen peroxide mask and I'll watch the pulse oximeter and in 15 seconds it'll be up to 96, another 15 seconds up to 97 and oftentimes after another 30 seconds to a minute it'll go up to 98 or even 99. So I think this is why so many people get a rapid ease of breathing because they're Mm -hmm. actually getting oxygen delivery which is occurring much more rapidly obviously than clearing up their infection and then having their immune system mop up the infection it immediately puts oxygen in your blood.
0: Yeah well that is a very good anecdote and you've got a bunch of them and uh, I would uh, want to emphasize too that if you're treating any acute upper respiratory infection especially something like uh, SARS-CoV-2 the earlier you treat it the better Uh, and largely because the virus once it gets around and it starts attaching to these cells it tends to multiply and replicate and it replicates very large levels which occurs in about five days then you're really at high risk of getting long hauler syndrome and having long-term complications so you got to treat it early treat it it aggressively so and i I want to thank you for your previous anecdote uh, you shared and and i and just want to um I mean, just impressed with your ability to observe clinically and then, and then make a a, a therapeutic recommendation from those observations is that you noticed when you were doing this, like you notice the PO2 go up when you're doing when you're doing the nebulization that your bowel movements improve. And, And we all understand that the relationship between a healthy microbiome and your health. I mean, there's, that's unquestionable. No one will dispute that. So, Based on your anecdotal observation, I have been doing it two or three times a week, sometimes four times a week, and certainly any I travel. It is absolutely part of my, my travel uh, uh, checklist now. So I wanna thank you because I have noticed also an improvement in the, in the quality of my bowel movements too. Well, the uh, other
1: thing too, Joe, is- Bristol, the le-
0: Bristol, Bristol number five now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the leaky gut syndrome involves
1: cells that replicate so rapidly even if you've had chronic leaky gut for years or most of your life, when you stop the brand new oxidative pathogen, toxin stress from dumping in, it's incredible how rapidly a leaky gut can heal. Okay, mm-hmm. and once it heals, uh, then you start getting the positive effects as we talked about on the bowel. But I think properly applied, make a make my own prediction, properly applied, along with the other things, but the peroxide nebulization is the most important of them. So many people can improve uh, their abnormal chronic bowel conditions. I, I, think, uh, I think that will, after the pandemic is gone, that will keep the hydrogen peroxide going long, by, long on by itself, just a powerful impact. I mean, I, I'm, I've done it like you do, two or three times a week, and then sometimes I let a few days, more days go by, the bowel function is not that great. Hey, that's my feedback. I kick up the frequency once again, and I'm back in the best bowel status that I've had in my life, let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, so the the, the other benefit of doing that, and it's not as obviously intuitive, but if you're in the habit of doing it regularly, it's like you're prepping every time so that the time an infection does occur, when they invariably do, I mean, we all get these coughs and colds and flus, it's, you don't have to figure it out, look up the dosages, you're already doing it. You can help your family and friends because it's it's part of your normal pattern and habit. So it, it is integrated into your lifestyle. So it's something that's part of what you're doing. And it's not a mystery in how to implement this pr- strategy, which is why I'm recommending, encouraging, and pleading with everyone to start this. You don't want to wait till you're sick. You want to do it now, just on the justification to optimize your microbiome. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. You don't. You don't need to worry. You don't need to get sick with a virus in order to start this and justify it. Not at all. Yeah, and
0: and you are not the one who really certainly didn't do it initially or promote it. This nebulized hydrogen peroxide. I mean, Bronson was doing it since mid '90s and before him. uh, Char- not Charlie Far- Farrer, the, uh, the get, forget the other physician that was just predated uh, Brownstein, but there and Rowan has been doing it. So you haven't, we weren't the first, but what you certainly are the first, and you really I attribute to you the discover of this principle is optimizing the microbiome. I mean, no one figured that out before you. You you you, you just done. You did it within the last year. So kudos to you. Thank you. I, I just
1: I just hope people and docs listen because. So many, as you well know, so many other problems other than just the quality of your bowel movement and the satisfaction of your bowel movement uh, are linked to the the leaky gut and the microbiome seeding the body with these pathogens. So absolutely, it's one of the most important prophylactic and treatment interventions you can have. Yeah, no opinion.
0: question. Who who would have known? Who would have known? Who would have known? Yes. All right, let's so let's tie up some loose ends now because the the topic of this discussion is really for the hidden epidemic, the stealth epidemic, of the periodontitis, and uh, I just want you to highlight the steps for that because it it like this hidden oxidative stress, it's it's going to take you out prematurely. So we definitely want you to address it, and and the hope is as you've shared in an actual story. Uh, you, can res- you can rapidly resolve your periodontitis with this intervention. It, do- it doesn't take a rocket science and it's not expensive. You probably have a dental irrigator already. And if you don't, it's, I, I'm confident they're less, even less expensive than a nebulizer. So they might be $50 instead of $75. It's still more than affordable for almost everyone. And it's not an intervention that you have to, it's not a consumable. You don't have to buy one a year or 10, every five years or 10 years, typically lasts a long, long time. I've only had mine for about two years and it is, this shows no sign of abuse at this point or breaking down. So, uh, and it was like $75. It's crazy. So why don't you review your strategy and recommendations for everyone to optimize healthy gums?
1: Well, as we, as we talked about, uh, a regular irrigation of a water pick or water pick style type of irrigator. Uh, ultimately, when your gums are completely healthy, you can use the highest pressures. A lot of people, when they first start, even the lowest pressures, you see bleeding. That's because the gums have been chronically infected. They're easily bled. And when the vitamin C levels are low, capillaries are frail, and you see the blood. So using... Uh, I like warm water. You could probably use warm saline, too, uh, mm-hmm. if you wanted. Warm saline in a cup or so and uh, uh, a few splashes or tablespoons of uh, usually the over-the-counter hydrogen peroxide and nothing wrong, of course, with using the food grade. and uh, And do that at least once a day. And if you do it only once a day, better than more than one, but if you only do it once a day, do it before going to bed at night, because that way, whatever you've accumulated during the day doesn't get a chance to fester and proliferate during the night. Another thing important to do is learn how to scrape the tongue. The Mm -hmm. tongue has a large amount of pathogens on it in most people uh, and and warrants the chronic uh, maintenance of keeping that pathogen count low. And something we didn't get a chance to address in any detail, but when you see your dentist go to a biological dentist that has ozone therapy, because if you've ever, if you've ever had anything other than perfect gums and perfect teeth, which is the case with most people, mm-hmm. you need to periodically get your tonsils injected with ozone because that's the only way to resolve the chronic infection and the tonsils seed the body, just like the other areas of the oral cavity.
0: Hmm, interesting. How about, uh, I actually do dental ozone at least once a week. Uh, would that be useful for the tonsils? You know, well, dental ozone applied how, Joe? Through a, a customized dental appliance. So I've got the ozone going in when I have a dental ear aspirator coming out so the gas does you don't breathe it in.
1: Now, for this purpose, uh, it, and, uh, it, the, the, the tonsils really need to be injected, injected. Okay. With, with the ozone. So and The th- other thing, too, is the CRP, you can track the CRP. Some people, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if your CRP is like 0.1, 0.2, you're probably okay. But if you can't figure out how to get that CRP of three or two or one and a half down a little well, bit if lower.
0: It's over one, you've got a problem.
1: You need to be injected. You need to go. And it's, it's not a big deal. It takes a few seconds, stings a little bit, just like a local anesthetic. And then it's all over. And it doesn't require but maybe a two or three visits and you just tack them on to whatever else you're doing with the dentist. I mean, um, I encourage people if, uh, if they have a dentist that hasn't done it and the dentist wants to email me or talk to me, that's perfectly fine. It's a good recommendation. Uh, yeah. yeah good recommendation. I'm, I'm here to help.
0: What do you, I, I wonder what your thoughts are on using a dental scaler, which you can pick up on Amazon because you know, myself, and I think many people I, if I don't visit my hygienist, Every three months, I've got I just have a tendency to build a plaque, and I just don't understand why, but I do. So it seems that if you can get the get it at the early stages before it's calcified, that's much easier to remove. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that.
1: Well, I, I you know obviously we don't have your blood work here, but when there's a slight imbalance in the calcium-phosphorus ratio, mm. you have a much stronger predilection toward not only depositing calculus in, in the teeth, but uh, forming Uh, stone formations and calcium Mm -hmm. depositions elsewhere in the body. Uh, If that's the case, and uh, that can't be uh, addressed and corrected in and of itself, absolutely, the the scaling is a fine intervention because the building up of that hard scale at the gum line Mm -hmm. causes a a chronic irritation, and then that will give a further predilection to starting a periodontal infection. On the other hand, I mean, I have a lot of problems, but one of them has never been that. I mean, I Jeez. They, they they can't find scale on me. So I it's-,
0: it's <laughs> well, that's <laughs> intriguing. I wasn't aware of the relationship between calcium and phosphorus. So what would you be looking for, in a, and and uh, what and once you identify something, what's what's the typical intervention? Well,
1: you, Weston Price and uh, and Jenkins. Uh, well, Weston Price established pretty nicely. That you want a ratio of two and a half to one, like a roughly uh, a calcium of ten and a phosphorus of four, or, okay. or whatever whatever else gives you as close to a ratio of two and mm-hmm. a half to one as possible is appears to be your best ratio for having the least predilection toward deposition.
0: So, what's usually the problem is the cal- is the phosphorus too low or high? And then, if it is, how do you fix that or or optimize it?
1: Well, then you go and uh, then then you start to go into the Sherlock Holmes things of what's going on in the body. And, uh, and you might be better off now after you had that tooth. Uh, I, I bet some of your blood work shifted
0: significantly.
1: I'll have to look, it's easy. I
0: yeah. to, to get my blood work done about once a month, so. Okay, so, uh,
1: uh, but generally speaking, it would be infection elsewhere uh. that, that's keeping the oxidative stress high, that's causing the reverse T3 to elevate Uh, causing a deranged free T3, reverse T3 ratio, Mm -hmm. all of that not only causes a predilection toward calcium depositing, it also causes the predilection toward focal infections metastasizing and focal cancers metastasizing. The more oxidative stress you have throughout the body, which is primarily regulated by, by your thyroid function, I mean, your thyroid function has to be perfect. That's one of the things that, that, that docs need to do right along with getting the 3d code beam exam is to make sure your T3 reverse T3 ratio is perfect.
0: Yeah. And usually if you're going to be on supplemental thyroid hormone replacement, then uh, ra- the, the primary mistake there, and in my recollection, one of the most consistent ways to identify whether a physician is a natural physician or a conventional one is the type of thyroid replacement they're using. So most conventional physicians use levothyroxide or synthroid. Uh, but for the natural medicine physicians, they they tip, the 10 was to use like desiccated thyroid hormone replacements, but those have become really problematic uh for a wide varieties used to be it used to be uh, armor thyroid and then they change vendors or manufacturing practices then west thyroid it, and, and it, i just don't really know of any good consistent ones and so now it's just like you're getting uh synthetic T4 and T3 in the specific doses and T3 typically has been administered at least two or three times a day with and then the T4 once a day so it's a uh, it's kind of a semi little nightmare strategy to kind of optimize that And of course,
1: the problem with the Synthroid, the T4, is all the traditional thyroid functions measure thyroid function in the thyroid. But we're looking at thyroid function throughout the body. Only 15% of the T3 that you get disseminated to your body comes from conversion of T4 in the thyroid. Everywhere else, the other 85% is a conversion of T4 to T3 in every cell in your body. That's done by diodinases. And guess what? It activates a diotinase, oxidative stress. So then you get the whole vicious cycle of the more oxidative stress there is, the more difficult it is to synthesize T3 and not its net and not its uh, blank key counterpart, reverse T3. You got to get those into balance. But it's a chicken egg thing. You got to first identify and correct as many of the reasons why your oxidative stress is out of whack as possible which usually translates into chronic infections.
0: Yeah. And vegetable oils. (laughs) Okay. They really go strongly together. So, uh, and our seed oils, which is more accurate, but, uh, and they're, they're not just on the shelf ones that might happen to be in your your kitchen pantry, but these are like, uh, embedded in almost every single processed food. So you've got to be diligent, obsessive compulsive at reading labels. And if any seed oils in there, just avoid it. So, uh, yeah. It's interesting. The, the, staying healthy is relatively simple and straightforward, but understanding the details is incredibly okay. complex. So it's just, you went on a slight tangent with the infections and the, the, the thyroid function. So anyway uh, well, let's sum it up. And uh, the book that you wrote is the hidden epidemic. And where is that available for free for free uh,
1: by the time this comes up Uh, When we process everything online, I'll be giving everybody the links, but we're working on the links right now. So I I don't
0: have a link to give somebody at this moment, but we'll we'll have it all together when you put everything together. We'll have it in the the article that accompanies the video. So uh, I want to thank you for your work. Thank you for your pioneering efforts in helping educate and really provide people with simple, effective strategies for the most common diseases that hit us. These infections, especially the stealth infections that typically result in the most common reasons that people are dying, cancer and heart disease. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I just want to get this information
1: out, as I know you do, too, Joe. So thanks for the opportunity to talk to all these people and
0: uh, until next time. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I can't wait till the next (laughs) insight you share. It's going to be something Uh, new. All right. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Take care.